Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Doo-wop is a genre of rhythm and blues music that was originated in the 1940s by African-American youth, mainly in, in large cities like New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Baltimore, Newark, Detroit, and Washington, D.C. Brent Wilson has directed a new documentary called Streetlight Harmonies that traces the history of doo-wop, and he joins us now along with two of the performers who are featured in the film, Sammy Strain, who was a member of the Imperials, the Chips and the OJs, and Lala Brooks, who sang lead on a number of the Crystals hits. Welcome to our show. Thank you. How you doing? And I'll be directing. I'll be directing questions to each of you, but if you want to add something to what's being said, just feel free to to speak up, okay? No problem. Let's begin with you, Brent. Uh, is it fair to say that although most of our listeners are familiar with many of the songs of the, the doo-wop era, only a few of them will know much about the history that is covered in your film? Yeah, very much so, Leonard. I think that was one of the motivations for us to tell the story was that uh, the genre just didn't really receive the respect um, that it deserves. Um, so when we started the project, the very first thing we did was I was we went and did some research to see if there were other documentaries out there. And mm. um, we were really, really surprised to find out there wasn't. Um, and when we started to do a little bit of research and discovered uh, that you know not only was this music important to our, our American culture, it also had a huge impact in our American history. That's when we knew we wanted to try to help tell this story. Sammy and Lala, has that been your experience as well, that uh, people really have little sense of the history of the music that you were part of? Sammy? Uh, yeah, well, well, first of all, let me say hello to uh, Brett and Lala. How you doing? Fine, thank you. How you doing? I'm, I'm fine. So I'm lovely fine. to hear you. So lovely to hear you. Thank you. Um... I'm sorry. Um, I, I was asking I, whether whether people have any sense of of the the, the uh, what doo-wop really was all about when when you tell them that you uh, you sang with three of the leading groups, Sammy. Yeah, well, well you know, I I was 16 when I started, and and I really didn't um, um, know anything about the history of doo-wop. You know what I'm saying? Um, and 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 in doing so, and recording Rubber Biscuit. Uh, was when I got my first taste of it. And then, of course, to go on to the Imperials and then later to the OJs, of course, then it had, it had busted wide open by that time. But when I first started out, I was ignorant to the fact of any music. You know what I'm saying? A lot of, you're listed as one of the writers of Rubber Biscuit, uh, although I'm not sure what cow, cow, humma, digga, 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 uh, <laughs> if that's really writing. But a, a lot of people think that it was a Blues Brothers song. No, 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 not at all. Okay, uh, this is how the song started. Um, uh, the Kinrod, the lead singer, um, Charles, Charles Johnson, he uh, was in a reform school um, <laughs> for, for a wayward boys. And what happened, that was the cadence that they would march to the mess hall to, cow, cow, ooh. And so we made our words to it. And 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 put the little breaks in, in, uh, into it, and everybody thought it was funny. So, uh, so, and we got a chance to record it on Josie Records, and that's how it was born. And uh, Lala, uh, the Do Run Run, of which uh, you uh, sang lead on, uh, I understand that that was just a nonsense phrase that 
uh, Phil Spector and the other writers uh, were using to fill the space, and then they decided to use it. So there's a lot of that in rock and roll, well, at least in duo. Yes, that's true. That because, you know, Jeff Barry and Elliot Greenwich wrote that, yeah. and um, they were filling up space, and you know that's what they did back in the day when they didn't find lyrics. They would fill it up with different uh, types. That's what they do up a lot of times. Well, the uh, Do Run Run was a big hit for the Crystals, but Sean Cassidy, the Carpenters, and even the Beach Boys recorded uh, cover versions. And then Sonny and Sharon Kiss recorded their versions of Then He Kissed Me. So um, uh, it, this is a complicated history. Uh, Brent, there are, are many theories about the origins of doo-wop. In the film, it suggested that it comes out of gospel quartet, but... Uh, didn't gospel quartet, I know something about that music, didn't that grow out of barbershop? It did, yeah, very much so. Um, and it, it was certainly an evolution. Um, and, and that's what we, we try to uh, be very cautious with, that, that there's never really kind of, uh, you know, nothing ever really comes from its own place, that everything kind of evolves. And we do, we talk, we talk about certainly the soul stirrers, uh, you know, when you get into uh, Sam, Sam Cooke Cook and... Absolutely, and and the impact of having him and and, and that and that, that beginning to kind of cross over, um, and then you know we we go into the Orioles, um, which you know a lot of experts will tell you it's was you know that first time you really got that earthy sound, where you didn't where African American artists like the Ink Spots were no longer you know the Ink Spots were singing white and trying to sound white. Now here they were here here was Sammy. I'm sorry, here was the Orioles. Um, trying to sound Sunny Till, Sunny Till sounding, you know, the way they were, and giving us that really earthy, urban sound. Um, and then Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, of course. I think that was, you know, what we refer to as the Big Bang. You know, that was now, the one that seemed to just uh, cause everyone to want to go out and sing the next day. Sammy, were the groups you were singing with uh, were they fans of of uh, gospel quartet? Because. Um, uh, because the parts are, are given out pretty much the same way, aren't they? The tenor doing the high part, then there's a lead, there's a baritone, and a bass. No, you know what? First of all, we weren't even into gospel. Uh, uh, how, we, uh, how our group started was, um, like I said, I was on the stoop. The guy came through the neighborhood selling vegetables. I recognized him. He was an old friend I hadn't seen in two years. And... Uh, and and uh, Teddy Black and and Paul Fulton uh, lived a couple of blocks from us, and uh, they just happened to, to, to. Well, Bubby told me that they were starting a group, and um, and he, he asked me could I sing first tenor. I didn't know anything about music at all, you know what I'm saying? So it was 16. I was so so I was ignorant to the fact of, of a gospel groups or anything, you know. I, I mean, I just didn't know, and I didn't even know that I could sing. First of all. You know, uh, and and then when I went to the first rehearsal, I realized that I could harmonize, and that's when it began for me. You know, uh, but I knew didn't know anything about the gospel quartets or anything like that. Now, Lala, uh, yes. how did that work with the Crystals? Because uh, sometimes you had four members, but sometimes you had three. Well, we started out with five. You know, we started out with five in Brooklyn. But I did come from gospel. I sang gospel when I was about seven years old. And I had a group, we had a group, my brother and my sister, and we were in church and we were called the Little Gospel Tears. Uh -huh. And so I did come from gospel. 
And then I did come from the street corners when I would, like um, Sam was saying, we'd sit on a stoop and we'd battle each other and wait for each other to come around. I think that um, the doo and thing came from, you know, an activity for black children and black teenagers because we were limited when it came to, um, this is my theory, I mean, we were limited when it came to doing things or um, we could go back to school for a little recreation, but a lot of black kids didn't have, you know, gyms to go to. You know, we didn't have, like, uh, we weren't introduced to, introduced to the YMCA until years later. We knew about that. I think that was the way of, for black children and black teenagers to um, just get their, you know, energy off and just communicate with each other. And I was 13 when I joined the Crystals. Mm. Well, it wasn't yeah. just black kids who were attracted to the music. Uh, a bunch of kids from high school that I went to, including me, would sing on the street corners. We would actually sing the, the songs that uh, were easier for us to do, like the flip sides of of, song, of records, like Hey Senorita, The Other Side of Earth Angel, for example. Uh, but, exactly. Wow. <laughs> and wow. and they, were, they were mixed groups. You know, and one, we were excited that one of the kids in our group was uh, brother of uh, somebody who was in a, a famous uh, recording group. So uh, I guess this was happening everywhere. Now, probably. We, probably. We tend, was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Probably it was just all over for teenagers to do something. I just said that is because I was in that type of, type of area. But um, I did go to school after, you know, and I would find kids, you know, whether it was black, white, we would all be harmonizing sometimes in the gym or in the hallways and anything, any place with it. You're dropping out every so often. Sorry about right. that. Right. Some, some, because uh, we're doing all of this by phone, everything has to be done by phone these days. Uh, right. It can uh, lead to all sorts of technical problems, but we'll get Lala back. Now, we, we tend to think of rock and roll in terms of the guitar, but we're in, in the early days, we're in pianos and tenor saxes mostly what were featured on, on those records? Uh, 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 tenor saxes and, yeah, and, uh, and uh, guitars and bass, you know. Mm. Uh, of course, drums also. Sure. Uh, and and uh, I guess my first session with uh, Rubber Biscuit, there was only about maybe six musicians, I think, um, six or seven musicians on the session. Um, uh, uh, Mickey Guitar Baker, Panama mm -hmm. Francis was on drums. Ernie Hayes was wow. on piano. This is and, an all-star group. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and, and I think uh, either King Curtis or um, I, think, I think he was playing saxophone. Um, Not Sam the Man. Oh, you know, it, uh, well, it could have been. It was Big Al Sears, Sam the Man, uh -huh. Taylor, and King Curtis. Uh, uh, they did all the sessions. And... Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't uh, realize till later that those guys really dominated the sessions. But I know Panama Francis and Mickey Guitar Baker and Ernie Hayes was on piano. And Mickey Guitar Baker had big hits with uh, <laughs> Sylvia. His strange, right? Yeah. Right. Mickey and now, Sylvia, yeah. Now, Brent, uh, the, the Ravens were one of the first groups to have a hit. It's too soon to know in 1948. But they resisted being labeled a doo-wop. Group and I understand uh, that uh, doo-wop, actually the words doo-wop, didn't show up in print until 1961 when they appeared in the Chicago Defender. Despite the fact that uh, doo-wop was uh, 
often in the background of, of uh, some hit records. Wait, wait. Oh, you just said the Ravens. It was the Orioles. The Ra- didn't the, the Ravens do It's Too Soon to Know? Are the- no. Oh, okay. Sonny Till and the Orioles. Yeah, okay. Well, the, the, the Orioles were one of many groups. There was uh, bird groups that were the Ravens. So there were the Penguins, the Swallows, the Wrens, the Flamingos. <laughs> But not the Eagles for some reason. They that came later. <laughs> yeah, after uh, they, they talk about after the Orioles, there was yeah, there was a hundred bird groups. You how about <laughs> they yeah. popped up everywhere. <laughs> but uh, but no, you're right. There, there was uh, uh, there, everyone really resisted the, the term doo-wop. It was um, you know we talk about that in the doc. As a matter of fact, it's one of the opening kind of scenes is what is doo-wop, and we mm-hmm. give all of these different answers. You know, we have all of the different artists. Kind of give their own definition of doo-wop, which is to say that there really is no such thing as doo-wop. But that's the irony of the of, the, of all of this. <laughs> well, well, it was listed. Absolutely. It was listed as rhythm and blues, and for a long time, wasn't it? Well, well, well that's what it originally was, rhythm and blues. I mean, it was rhythm and blues. Simple as that. You are listening to London Lopate at Large on WBAI, New York, 99.5 FM. And my guests are Brent Wilson, who's directed a new documentary called Streetlight Harmonies. And uh, two of the uh, singers featured in the film, Sammy Strain and Lala Brooks. And uh, Brent, where can people see this film? Because right now you can't go to a theater. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're, if you're looking for something to make you feel good and to make you whistle and sing along. Um, I, it, this one will hurt, certainly help. Uh, but it's available on Amazon. You can purchase DVDs on Amazon. You can also download and stream on Amazon Prime and on iTunes, uh, Vudu, and, and other streaming services. And, uh, uh, Apple. It's on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and Vudu. Ah, okay. Well, we'll remind our listeners again later in the show about that. But maybe we should listen to some music. And uh, let's begin with two of the, the records that Sammy appeared on, Rubber Biscuit with the Chips and Tears of My Pillow with Little Anthony and the Imperials. Ooh. Fantastic. Okay? Good combo. <laughs> yes. Good combo. Yeah. Well, they, 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 they cover the span of what, of what uh, doo-wop was all about. We have a, Listen, a, a swoony kind of song there. I haven't heard Rubber Biscuit in a long time. Oh, well, I listen to it all the time. Okay, let's listen. Sandwich? Well, it's the kind of a sandwich that you're supposed to take. Two pieces of bread and wish you had some meat. Go, 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 go. 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 Go, 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 go.
The other day, I ate a ricochet biscuit. Well, it's the kind of a biscuit that's supposed to bounce off the wall back in your mouth. If it don't bounce back, <laughs> you go hungry. Do, 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 The other day, I ate a cool water sandwich and a Sunday go to meat and bun. Do, 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 Hmm, what you want for nothing? A rubber biscuit? Do, 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 Little Anthony Gordine and the uh, and Tears of My Pillow, Little Anthony and the Imperials, preceded by the Chips and Rubber Biscuit. And uh, one of the uh, singers on both of those tracks is with us, uh, Sammy Strain. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious about it. Rubber Biscuit sounded like a lot of fun. Also, it relied on having one of the things that you got in some of the best of the, of the doo-wop groups a really good bass singer. Oh, you know what? I had the pleasure of uh, singing uh, a rubber biscuit with the Blues Brothers. Oh, you did? 
Yes, I did uh, with uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd and and uh, Jim Belushi. Yeah. Of course, John had passed away, and um, uh, it was in a um, in Atlantic City uh, at the uh, oh man, I can't remember the hotel. But anyway, I had the pleasure of singing Rubber Biscuit with the Blues Brothers, and it was who had uh, footage it, of that? Huh? <laughs> so, like I've had footage of that, Sammy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? What happened? I I, I met um, I met Dan Aykroyd at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when I got inducted uh, with the OJ's. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what happened? Uh, he was at the ceremony, and I thanked him for uh, uh, recording Rubber Biscuit, right? And and um, 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 he didn't know who I was, right? So. Somebody introduced me to him, and he said, oh, this is one of the chips. And he looked at me and said, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's when I got the invite. Of course, he didn't know that any of the chips were alive. They just assumed that everybody had died? You weren't yeah. that? It Absolutely. wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Well, well, we recorded that in 1956. Mm-hmm. And, and Tears of My Pillow came out in 1958. You know, as, as a matter of fact... Anthony was in another group uh, uh, at the time called the DuPonts uh, when I was mm-hmm. in the Chips. But you you are in three three major groups. How did that happen? A, a group would break up and you just go to another one. Yeah, well, I really sang with with uh, with, with four. I sang also with the group called the Fantastics. That that oh, made yeah. there goes my love on RCA. That's when the big labels started recording. These yeah, these fact, things I, as well. I, I, I was the first tenor um, uh, in the Fantastics, also. You know, so uh, yeah, you know, I, um, it was really different. Uh, the, uh, okay, the Chips were together for about eighteen months, and the, the, then the group broke up, and then I recorded with the Fantastics. I uh, made there goes my love, and they uh, were together for well, the group was still together, but I left after. Uh, Two years to join another group called the Impacts, and then, <laughs> and, and then, um, then, um, then I joined the Imperials. Uh, after that, um, and then, of course, years later, the OJ's. But um, hey, it was a beautiful time. Uh, that's all I can say. <laughs> I hope Lala's back with us, Lala. Burke. No, I'm here. I'm, I'm oh, listening. great. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, but you, you were mostly with the Crystals. Yeah, I stayed with them when I was listening to Sam talk. I thought I um I became interested in singing rock and roll from listening to to um, Little Anthony Imperials. I went to the first oh. concert when they were at the Fox Theater. I was 11 years old. Wow! And I was sitting there and wow. the Brooklyn Anthony Fox, Imperials, the Brooklyn Fox. They hmm. came out and I was you know that was our first concert. My mom let us go. My sister, my cousin, and when the doors opened, it was a you know, old-fashioned theater, naturally in Fox. And when I ran to the front and I sat there and I put my hand on my chin, I was 11 years old, Little Anthony Imperials, they all came out and they were singing Tears on My Pillow. And I sat there as a kid at 11 and I said, one day I'm going to be up there. And mm-hmm. when I turned 13, really 12 and a half, that's when Dee Dee's mom, one of the girls in the group, discovered me. And that's when I joined the Crystals when I was 13. But it all came from seeing Little Anthony at the Apollo with, um, I think, the Cleftones and all of mm-hmm. that. They were at the Fox Theater. Cleftones were a good Brooklyn group. They went to Boys High. Uh, was Alan Freed one of the, uh, was that an Alan Freed show? 
I think it was probably an Ellen Fried show, yeah. No, because it was we a Murray the K show at the Fox. I was going to say, a, wait a minute. It was a Murray the K? Yeah. Murray yeah. the K, I thought about it. I, it was, yeah. was Murray the K because Murray the K, I think he played the Fox Theater most of the time with the show. Right. It was his It was his thing. I think Alan Freed was at the Paramount. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Paramount, which is Alfred which is now part of LIU. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Which was a couple of blocks away. It was about two blocks away, three blocks away, because they both were on Flatbush Avenue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Both on yeah. Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. That's right. Yeah. One has, because I know we worked with Murray Decay after that, you know, after I got in the group, and we did a few shows with him, but he was the one that did the Fox Theater with all the acts there. And that's where I started from, just, just seeing little Anthony, and I, I just, I just loved Tears on My Pillow when, you know, we was at home as kids listening to it. But I got my start from looking at that group. And like when Sam says they came out in 1958, the Crystal started in 1960. Hmm. So it was well, the, two years after. The DJs uh, were as big stars as the groups. Uh, we had some pretty uh, famous ones here in New York. Uh, Frankie Crocker. Jocko E. Tidliak. Hey, this is the Jock. Uh, Hal Jackson, Joe Bostic, yes. Alan Freed, yes. Murray Kaufman, Murray the K. Uh, they were all big stars. Yes, they were. True. That's true. Hmm. And, you know? well, and, and I, I played um, the Dr. Jive show. I played Dr. Jive at uh, Tommy oh. Smalls at the first time I did the Apollo Theater. Uh, as a matter wow. of fact, it was a Thanksgiving show. It was a Thanksgiving show, and that was in 1956. I can remember the lineup. The Cadillacs were the headliners, and Bo Diddley was the co-star, okay? Wow. And, Scre- and Screaming Jay Hawkins had just put out, I put a spell on you. The Heartbeats had just come out with a thousand miles. I think I was, I think I saw that. Show. Okay, the, uh, the schoolboys came out with "Please Say You Want Me To," and the Dells had just recorded "Going Out." I mean, I mean, uh, over the night, and mm. of course the Chips had "Rubber Biscuit," um, and uh, Robert and Johnny was on the show. Uh, a group called the Debutantes. Mm. And I, listen, I remember like it was yesterday. Trust me. I remember that uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins would start. He would come out of a coffin uh, before he started. That was. Uh, the lights would go down, and then they would. You see this coffin in the middle of the stage. It would open up, and Screaming Jay Hawkins would come out and sing. I put a spell on you. Listen, when Screaming Jay played, uh, played uh, uh, one of the uh, shows at the Paramount, he emptied out the first sixteen rows when he came out with that coffin, and he and he, and he whipped it open, and he and he and he said he had the mic with him. I put a spell on you, and sixteen rows cleared out. <laughs> You're not lying. You're not lying, Sam. When I was a kid, it's so true. We worked with him at the Apollo, too, you know? Right, I'm being right. a kid. And, you know, when when you're talking about a coffin, I'm a child working at the Apollo with the with Freeman J. Hawkins. And when, when you go to church, you know, death messages all over is very serious. So I used to be so afraid when they bring mm-hmm. the coffin out on the stage because <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Now, 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 Lala, Phil Spector produced most of your records with the Crystal. Didn't he yeah. make you a little afraid? Well, you know what? It's a, maybe I like I tell people because I was the baby in the group. I think Phil was a little bit more lenient. Like when I used to fly, he used to fly me to California, and um, Sonny Bono would pick me up at the hotel, the Knickerbocker Hotel. 
because he was producing records, Sonny Bono, in those days. He produced a lot of great gospel records. Oh in yeah, California. but you know at that yeah, but at for that specialty time, records. That's right, but a little bit after because at that time, him and Cher, Cher used to always be in the studio wanting to get on the mic, and Phil wouldn't have it. But Sonny was Phil's right hand man. He would pick he would pick us up at the hotel. He would pick me up at the hotel, and he'd bring me to the studio around twelve o'clock, and I'd be recording from like one o'clock until five o'clock in the morning. And Cher would be there with me. We'd go out and sometimes for a break, and she'd be asking Phil, "Could I get on the mic?" You know, trying to whisper to Sonny, but Phil wouldn't have it because she was married to Sonny at the time, and mm-hmm. Sonny was just there, and Phil used to treat him like crap. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. terrible. <laughs> It was terrible. It was terrible. But Sonny was smart, though, because wow. Sonny stayed there and took all the punches and all the kicks. And then when he left, um, him and Cher came out because he was absorbing all of Phil Spector's sound while Phil Spector was treating him like a doormat. <laughs> and um, he would try to look like Phil, dress like Phil. They'd all have the white shirt on, and he tried because he was short, too. He wasn't a, big, wasn't a tall person. But Sonny was so sweet to take all the crap from Phil. So whatever Phil didn't give to me, he gave to Phil. I mean, you know, whatever Phil Spector didn't give to me, he gave to Sonny. Well, he Should we listen? All that knowledge, though. Uh, 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 he did. Uh, uh, That's right. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He absorbed all that knowledge. Well, should and we listen to two of the hits that you sang on? Uh, yeah, and I want to Then he kissed me and do, and to do run run. Yeah. Go and ahead. I don't know that that Cher and Sonny, Cher and Sonny Bono is on the Do Run Run with background. Sharon Sonny's oh. on the background with that is because Phil was in the studio and because the Do Run Run was such a crazy song and very, no lyrics or stuff, he wanted the background. He said, Cher, come on now, you can go do the background. Sonny, come from the studio and do the background because Phil only flew me out to California to put down the track. He was too cheap to put, bring the crystals out. <laughs> wow. So I'd be the only one there. They put me in a hotel as a kid. Sonny Bono used to pick me up at the hotel with another driver, and he'd bring me there. So all the records, like the Do Run Run, then he kissed me, um, all the ones that I'm on the Christmas album, Phil would not pay for the girls to be flown out there. So that's why you have different background singers on even one of the Christmas songs. You would have different sounding background singers because you get them from California. Wow, you know, and that's what used to happen. <laughs> but where, where did he put those other singers? Darlene Love, a well-known singer, was in in the Crystals. Uh, were they on the records that we're talking about? Darlene Love was never Crystal. The Crystals oh. didn't even know who Darlene Love was. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. I saw that on an album. No, what happened was with the Crystals is the Crystals was established already. There was no such thing as Darlene Love, and still, if you want to know the truth. We made Phil Spector. Phil Spector recorded the Crystals in New York. And all of us, five girls from Brooklyn, all of us. And Phil used to be in the studio with us on York Street, on 47th Street. He used to bring Carol King in, um, Jerry Gossin, all of them in to give us songs to sing. And he mm. had an apartment that was upstairs, and the rehearsal apartment was downstairs. And one day, um, he's, and he was recording Barbara. Barbara was the lead singer, Barbara Austin was first the lead singer. When I got in the group, I was 12 and a half and I turned 13. But when wow. I got in there, Barbara was the Crystals. She was the lead singer and she sang the first song with the Crystals, There's No Other Like My Baby. Mm-hmm. And the second one Barbara sang was Uptown. Now, they didn't know I could do the lead. 
and they put me in the background on Uptown. I'm not on Dance No Other Like My Baby because that's when they first started. But I'm on the background of Uptown. The next thing you know, Phil's recording us, and we're making Phil Spector one of the producers, which he never was, didn't have any other artists but the Crystals, and he leaves for California. And we had a manager that was like the mafia, Joe Scandori. He used to manage Don Rickles for 45 years. So mm. Joe began to manage us, and he said to Phil, when he went to California, the Crystals have a contract with you. They need a record out. And Phil didn't listen. And the next thing you know, all of us original Crystals was in the car. We were riding, and we hear this song. We hear music because everybody would try to look at, listen to the top ten who was on, you know, who was the best, who had, had the record, hot, hot record. So we listened to these. He's a rebel. Didn't think anything of it. And we're driving to a gig, and we hear the Crystals number one. We almost died. We were trying to figure out did someone take our name. So we mm. stopped the car. That uh, um, I think our driver called the studio, the record, you know, uh, studio, and they said, yeah, the crystals underneath the crystals name. We got to the manager to come find out when Phil went to California and Joe Scandori was bugging him to record us. He didn't listen. And he put this woman that we didn't know under it called Darlene. And he named her name was Darlene Wright. And he gave her the name Darlene Love. She could, she was a Blossom singer. She was doing a lot of background. That was the Blossom. So nobody knew who she was. So what do they do? They take this record, He's a Rebel. Barbara's voice is too small, pretty voice, but very light. They say, Lala, you have the powerful voice. You have to learn this record. We go into Carol's studio in New York. We put it on. We got it from Phil, and I had to learn how to sing He's a Rebel. Then he put, um, he sure the boy I love. I had to learn how to do that accent. I always dreamed the boy I love would come along. I didn't, I didn't have a, I had a Brooklyn accent. So I had, I had to learn that, and still nobody knew who Darlene Love was. Nobody. So the next thing you know, Phil Spector manhandled, I mean, um, um, Joe Scandori manhandled Phil Spector and then and said, how dare you put this person that we don't even know under the crystal name. And the next thing you know, I was flown out to California when they knew that I was naturally the original crystal with them and I could sing. Then that's what happened. I put, was, I put down everything from the Crystals, the Christmas album, the Do Run Run, then he, Christ, then he kissed me. Now, when I used to go to California, I used to see Darlene with, with, with Panita and all of them. She used to walk in there and something she would be doing background, but she never did any of the leads and she never was a Crystal. None of Barbara's is, is passed away today and she never saw Darlene Love's face. Most of the Crystals never saw Darlene. Only Didi from the group saw Darlene, Darlene's face. I'm the one that saw Darlene. And then what happened was when Phil did that, it made Darlene have a leverage to tell the people and lie and say she was a crystal because the crystal name made Darlene Love famous. When I left for Europe, I left for Europe, and next thing you know, when I came back from Europe, Darlene was claiming that she was a crystal, that she did the do and run, which was, so not, was crazy. When I left in 1984 for Europe, and Darlene Love did lead of the pack. Leader of the Pack was a Broadway play, and when it was a Broadway play, one of the main songs was the Do Run Run. The next song was River Deep by Tina Turner. When I came back in the 90s, she had claimed that she was a crystal, that she had did the other songs. She was never crystal. The crystals didn't even know her. I knew her because I was the only one that was flown to California to put down the track for the crystals. 
Well, we have. I want to play some music, wow. but uh, the the film is filled with stories of of uh, music business manipulation and all sorts of other problems, racism, drug addiction. We'll get to a little bit of that, but let's hear the two two of the songs that you sang lead on two huge hits. Then he kissed me and to do run run. No problem. <laughs>
Uh, the Crystals and the Do Run Run. Before that, Then He Kissed Me. Uh, interestingly, the Da Do Run Run was also recorded by the Carpenters and the Beach Boys. And uh, you were talking uh, earlier, Lala, about Sonny and Cheryl. They uh, did a version of Then He Kissed Me, uh, as well as Kiss of All Groups. Uh, but it is interesting that there was so, so many of the hits uh, were actually wound up. Uh, the biggest hits were by cover versions, Pat Boone, the McGuire Sisters, and, and the like. Um, How about that? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so l let's talk a bit about the the, uh, the racism that you discuss here. Uh, many of the groups didn't even uh, didn't even wind up on the covers of their own albums. Uh, Brent, yeah. why is that? Well, I you, think you, you kind of alluded to that, I think, in the doc, and these guys can obviously speak to it much better than I can. But they just were afraid of sales; that there would be no sales in the South. Uh, if there were black artists on the cover. Um, I think uh, there's a moment in the film where we talk about the Flamingos and they had this um, great cover shot uh, for an album that they were really excited about. And the record, you know, with them all sitting around a table with a bottle of champagne and, you know, they're in their tuxedos and they just look fantastic. And yeah, a Flamingo Serenade was called. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yep, yep. And uh, and then you can just kind of hear the heartbreak in Terry Johnson's voice even to this day when he describes how they pulled that cover and okay. replaced it with an image of actual flamingos, uh, you know, on a lawn. And you can well, still you know, hear the hurt in his voice. Uh, the Chantels, uh, they showed a jukebox on their cover. Yes. Now, yeah. Sammy and Lala. Uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in a jukebox. Yeah. Sammy Lala, in the film, you talk about touring the South, usually by bus in the, yeah. the 50s and 60s. Weren't you told not to order at front at uh, counters of, of restaurants uh, uh, were, and were taunted, according to the film, by angry whites who whites who um, and were even ordered to sing facing the walls of theaters rather than the white <laughs> audiences? The, the audiences yeah. were split between blacks on one side and whites on the other. Yeah, or yeah, even they were high. upstairs in the balcony, and, and the, the white kids were on the uh, the the, uh, the uh, on the floor, and the and the um, the black kids were in the balcony. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they, and then sometimes, yeah, sometimes it was separated. Like I remember working, we do the tour with Sam Cooke, and I was about fourteen, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't get over it because those, back in those days, those mics, and you know what I'm talking about, Sam, those mics were very heavy. You know, they had a bulb in it. They, they, they're very heavy to pick up. And as a kid, I'd have to pick up that mic and go to one side and sing where we were separated, sing to white people on one side and black people on the other side. And you'd have to pick up those mics and turn them because it wasn't like they had today. And it was very difficult for me. I think that was the most, you know, testing or horrible thing in my life as a kid because I didn't you understand it. I came from Brooklyn and I... I was devastated as a child. You say in the film that you often refused to give autographs to white fans on those tours. You said that was your way of rebelling. Yeah. I, out of the group, me being the baby, I guess, they, Barbara and them were 18. As I say, I was 13 when I joined them. And I guess maybe because I was younger and I was more aggressive when it came to feelings and knowing what's going on. And Barbara and them, we said, oh, Lala, you can't do that. I said, no, in my head. The only way I can get to them if they came up to me and they say, you know, in a, a southern accent, 
after they have my autograph, I just thought of a way when Barbara and them weren't there and they were on the other side and maybe not near me too much, I would they'd come up to me because I was the lead singer, and um, they'd say, oh, we like you, and they'd say, um, you know, I love the way you sing to do Ron Ron, and they'd grab your autograph, and I would stand there and feel very proud and say no. And they would look at me like I lost my mind. <laughs> and I'm a kid, and I'm right next to them. I'm there at my age, you know, I'm maybe a little older, like if I'm 14, 15, they're about 16 or 17, and they're looking at me, and I just, for some reason, I felt so good inside. It felt like I took my power back, and, um, you know, the girls would get on me about it because I was a baby, and they would say, wow, you can't do that. And I would just listen to what they said, and if they were signing an autograph on the other side of me, I'd wait to the opportunity for them, four of them to come to me, and I'd say no. And they'd ask me why, and I said, because I don't want to, and I'm not signing your autograph. And then sometimes when it get me really in a bad mood, I said, because you know what? We're not allowed to go to your bathrooms. We're not allowed to go to your restaurants, so I'm not allowed to give you my autograph. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you do things as a kid, you do things right. as a child, you know. Oh, but I, mean, I know the difference now, but that was my way of expressing myself is because I was so hurt by it. I the other girls that. wasn't as hurt because they understood. I so what happened? It. So what happened when there were groups, uh, uh, many of the groups were integrated, uh, did they have to make believe that they weren't uh, when they performed in the South? Uh, now you know what. Now I heard, I've, I, I, I've heard stories that 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 um, when the um, when the Crest stayed at a, a black motel, they would darken J Johnny Maestro's skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? No, 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 So he, no. so he could stay at the, so he could stay at that, at that hotel rather right. than go to the white right. hotel. Right, right. You know, so hey, but listen, I don't know how true it is, but it, it, listen, I can believe it. You know, uh, because I can believe listen, too. <laughs> uh, so many things will happen. Oh, Lala, by the way. Um, yeah. Mel Shane and Joe Scandori uh, managed the Imperials also when Anthony wasn't with us. Oh my God! I know. Yeah, and Mel Shane. Yeah, and Joe Scandor. You know who they are, though. I'm sure. Yeah. Of course, I know they who were, they are. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Sam. He owned. He owned the Elegant. He owned the Elegant in Brooklyn. He owned that club. Right, right, right. On Ocean Avenue. On Ocean on Avenue. Ocean Avenue. He owned yes. that. Joe Scandor yeah, owned right. that. Yeah, yeah. You know who he is. Yeah, and yeah. he was like the mafia. Right. He was like that's the mafia. right. <laughs> right. Play. I, I remember as a kid. Go ahead. Go Okay, listen, I played the Elegant so many times, man. Uh, listen, we probably worked there about once a month for about two about two years. Uh, and we used to work the Catskills a lot also. Yeah, we did. We did yeah, we did too. I love the Catskills. Right. I love working. Well, you, didn't, but you, was, didn't, you didn't face the same kinds of problems in the Catskills that you faced when you were no, down south. No, not at all. Not at no. all. <laughs> no, no. Now, now Brent, do you... It was crazy on the Dick Clock tours. We did a lot of Dick Clock tours, so it was mixed and, you know, mixed with black and white. And all of us naturally got along because we loved the white kids and black guys. And we just got along. There's no problem with us. Sure did. Um, with sure Dick did. Clock mixing it. We didn't get We didn't have the problems with being mixed on tours. It, it, it was so crazy. The only yeah. problem we had, and, and Dick Clock was so sweet, he was so sweet, is that we couldn't eat in the restaurants. He was working on tour with Diana Ross and the Supremes. Uh, uh, you know, all the other groups and, and things like that. And 
when it came to eating. Dick Clark, you know, would would make the people just take orders by his valet would take the orders by pencil or pen, whatever, and he'd go out and get the hamburgers and he'd bring them on the bus. Right. Now, Diana Ross wasn't allowed into those. She was a, considered a superstar. Oh, yeah, well, what happened was Diana Ross was, this was a, I was laughing because I would, as I said, I'm a little younger than her. So I was kind of wild and crazy, not wild, but I was like crazy as a kid, like laughing at everything that was funny. She was always mingling and always Diana Ross with that Diana Ross, whatever. And um, she jumped <laughs> off the bus with all the white kids. And um, we were in the back, so we were, like, taking out time to get off. All of us were taking the time. Brian Hiram was on the bus, you know, Gene Pitney. And so some of them was getting off the bus. Diana Ross was going with all the white kids. She was jumping off the bus. Nobody thought anything. The next thing you know, the kids, the, the other white kids, the group, they didn't come back. Diana Ross was coming back. And we were saying, I wonder why she's coming back. And she comes to Dick Clark, and she says, I'm not allowed to go in there. And we're like, oh, my God. That's when Dick Clark said, okay, if nobody's a black allowed to go in there he had he had this guy named freddie and freddie became he he just would go on the bus and he said okay everybody sit down and he'd take what do you want and he'd bring a box of everything and then he'd distribute all the hamburgers or whatever anybody ordered but diana ross couldn't go either because she was black but she thought she could i didn't think i don't think that she thought she could because she didn't know it was a prejudice but she just was going with the white kids like anybody else because we were all mixed um, wait, and, and, wait, the, and the during tour. that time, they were the, just the Supremes also. They weren't Diana Ross and the Supremes. Yeah. Right. We're, I think the, the, well, even if she was, it, it was uh, uh, Shirley of the Shirelles was on the tour. It didn't matter whether you were Shirley or Henry. Right, you right, were black, right, right, you, right, 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 right. <laughs> they wouldn't, right. you wouldn't, and then, and then we'd do that, and Dick Clark was very gracious with that. But the next thing you know, we would go to the Sheraton, we would be going to the next gig, all the white people would stay in the Sheraton Hotel. We would stay in motels like Ghana, named Ghana Motel. It had roaches, made little mice. It wasn't that warm. It was horrible. And then after what we would have to do, when the when Dick Clark would pick us up in the bus, he would pick us up on the highway, Diana Ross too, the Supremes too. We'd have to crawl up on the highway on the mountain, like, you know, like a, in a ditch. We would have to crawl up on, from the ditch without suitcases to catch the bus coming from the Sheraton, and they pick us up on the highway. Listen, the I, hotel, motel. We're, we're kind of out of time. Uh, I would have loved to have played many more of my favorites from the doo-wop era, like I Only Have Eyes for You and The Still of the Night, Earth Angel, When You Dance, Speedo, uh, At My Front Door, which Pat Boone uh, did a very weird version of. Uh, why must fools fall in love? But uh, we don't have time. And also, Brett... We don't have time to talk about all the incredible musicians you got uh, to talk about the, their experiences in this film. But you had you was everybody excited about uh, discussing doo-wop or the people from the, the teenagers from uh, the well, even the Beach Boys. I think, you know, it, it, we, one of the things that we were uh, really cautious with is we wanted to earn everybody's trust. Um, I think, you know, so many of these artists, I don't want to speak for Sammy and, and Lala, but so many of these artists, of course, had, had been ripped off and had lyrics stolen and copyrights and those types of things. And so I think the mob was in the record business in those days. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, it was, you know, I, we were concerned that, OK, here comes, you know, some filmmakers. Will they be trying to take over our stories and those types mm. of things? So it was very important for us to earn their to earn their trust. And that was one of the things I was think I'm most proud of is that, um, you know, 
I, you know, everybody that we've spoke to enjoyed the process, and hopefully Lala and Sammy. I can, loved uh, it. I loved it. Confirm. I loved it. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I so did enjoy it. I'm sure watching the film brought back all sorts of memories as well. So, uh, again, where can people see the film? Tell them, Sammy. Okay, it's streaming. It's streaming on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. <laughs> uh -huh. And it's called Streetlight Harmonies. And uh, you're going to hear a lot of incredible music and uh, see a lot of really interesting people talking about their past, including uh, people who were influenced later, because uh, Brent, you also brought in some of the people. Duop may have ended at a certain point as a, a specific genre, but its influence continues to this day. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. And it was and a my, pleasure. I must. Put, I just want to say one thing to Brent and all of them. I was so grateful in them doing it because when I saw the Beach Boys and all of us coming together, it just reminded me of when we were on tour when we were very young and we were just one. It was no such thing as black and white. It was only when we went into the South and they believed in that. But as far as like um, the artists, we worked with each other and had no problem with racism. And it, it brought back memories in my life where my best friend and I wrote a song and wound up uh, expecting it to be recorded by the Turbans on Herald Records when it didn't happen, of course. Well, that's another story altogether, another show. But my great thanks to the three of you for being on this show. Brent Wilson, the, the director of Streetlight Harmonies, and two of the wonderful singers featured in it, Sammy Strain, who was with both with the Imperials, the Chips and the OJs, and Lala Brooks, who was the lead singer on so many of the Crystals hits. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. And that brings us to the end of today's show. My special thanks to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to Jesse Lent, our executive producer, for their invaluable contributions throughout the week. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes uh, podcast. And, and don't forget to follow our show pages on Facebook and Twitter, where you're invited to leave your comments. There's also our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. We'll hope you'll tune in tomorrow for a Good Friday celebration of some of my favorite Easter-inspired recordings from the golden age of black gospel music. See you then. <laughs>